It is Travers Week before we dive into the potential field for Saturday's race. A word from our friends at BetMakers. Fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic with 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote board. Soon, fixed odds wagering will be available throughout the state of New Jersey. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You will continue to hear more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money media network. Now, on to the Travers Preview with episode 128. What's happening? Welcome into Matt Bernier, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Tuesday, August the 23rd, 2022. It's episode 128 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find the pod basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search bar. Matt Bernier show. You will get this episode along with the 127 prior. And as always, please rate, review, subscribe. And make sure if you are subscribed to the YouTube channel that the bell icon is lit up. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. Just got back from Toronto for Queen's Plate. Looking forward to getting back up there next month for the Woodbine Mile. Going to be a busy few weeks or really next handful of month and a half, two months for me. Going Saratoga for the Jockey Club Labor Day weekend. Following weekend I'll be in studio for NBC covering Kentucky Downs. Following weekend I'll be at Woodbine going over the Woodbine Mile for TSN. Then there's a little bit of a breather, but then I'll go right back to Stanford for in-studio coverage of Keeneland, and then just a few weeks later, it's the Breeders' Cup. So uh, we are in full flight for the wire at this point. We have hit the quarter pole. Uh, It's a sprint home at this point. And one of the big races still to come for the remainder of the 2022 calendar, never mind the Saratoga meeting, is the Travers. Uh, it now looks like it's only going to be a field of eight based on the probables that I've looked at over on horseracingnation.com, and I believe those were pulled directly from Naira. With Chargit not making the race, he's got an abscess. It's a field of eight. It's a good field of eight. Um, I may have alluded to the fact that over the weekend, I'm starting to cool off a little bit on this group, and not just because of what Nest did in the Alabama. And I know the fig may be a little bit light, and it doesn't jive with my proclamation that she's the best three-year-old in the country, boy or girl. But I'll get into why Nest's number, and I know she's not running in this race, but I'll get into it when we start going through the eight probables for Saturday's Travers, why Nest, I think, is the best three-year-old right now, boy or girl. Maybe Saturday's race will make me feel otherwise if somebody jumps up and does something that they haven't done yet. Uh, but right now, I think she's the best. And I think I have a very concrete reason why. You may not agree with it. I'd like to hear. But at the same time, I've had a lot of trolls lately. And, you know, whatever. It is what it is. I do want to hear a well-thought-out opinion. Put it that way. Don't just throw stuff against the wall. Just throw stuff against the wall. But if you disagree, I just need some details, some facts to back it up. But I would give you why. I believe Nest is the best of the group right now. And who knows? Saturday, one of these horses could jump up and run a big, big race, and I'll change my tune. But until Saturday, I think she's the boss. But we will go through through the eight other runners, the eight three-year-old males that are going to be going a mile and a quarter at Saratoga in the Midsummer Derby. 
trying to sort out the three-year-old division as a whole. And more importantly, bigger picture, I think, going forward, where do they stack up in terms of the Breeders' Cup Classic? Because I said early on, I was really high on this group. They were fast, and they were fast early. The problem is, from the time I said that, they have not really gotten much faster. They continue to run about the same. So maybe we'll poke some holes in some horses that'll be shorter prices. Maybe we'll make cases for horses that'll be bigger prices. All that and more. Let me know your thoughts about the upcoming Travers and how these three-year-old boys compare to Nest. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, as we've done for many of these other big races, it's the 30,000-foot view, the early preview, with past performances and some replays for Saturday's Travers. Travers, we need to start with the local prep, the Jim Dandy. You have three of the eight probables coming out of this race, and there's a, I guess there's a scenario in which they're the three favorites, or close to it, three of the top four, three of the top five. Um, these have been three of the bigger names on the three-year-old Triple Crown Trail all year. Epicenter, Zandon, early voting. We're going to let the tape run. This was only a four-horse field, and we all know how this whole thing plays out. This video is pulled from the Naira YouTube channel, and you can see Zandon is loading into the gate here. I went into this race looking at it saying, how does early voting get beat on the heels of his run in the Preakness? He's going to be controlling speed in here. He breaks. Jose Ortiz does exactly what he did in the wood. He breaks on top, goes right to the front, and gets him to come right to hand. But Jose rode him beautifully. He just had no horse. That was the problem. And I don't know what you want to do with it. But on the heels of this, I guess you can look at it as a positive to say that he's back in the Travers. But this is a candy setup. And if this horse is what I had hoped he was, what's the excuse? He's out walking on the front end, ears up, loving life. Was he short? I guess, maybe. But I, I don't know. I think this is a pretty candy trip, and he's going to be taking on, I think, at least a comparable field, but better, because I think there are good horses that are going to be taking him on. Meanwhile, his uncoupled stablemate, Zandon, is taking up the chase, well-documented, doesn't really want to be in that position, would, ra would rather rally from off of it. Tawny Port's down on the inside. He's not going to run in the Travers. And then you've got Epicenter, who will be the favorite in Saturday's race, coming from the back beneath Joel Rosario. The fractions in the race are fine. They're pedestrian for horses of this caliber right now when Epi excuse me when early voting can't get separation i know he's in trouble zandon is looming he looks like he's moving well and i look at it and say with those fractions epicenter is going to have to run a hell of a race to get the job done for a moment tawny port looks like he's going to actually get the job done shooting up the inside but you look at joel he hasn't moved on epicenter he just shakes his hands a little bit the horse responds he runs down zandon blows the doors off of early voting and beats tawny port this is visually a very impressive effort from Epicenter. I've had people leave comments saying the figure, don't hold that. Don't use that as gospel because it was a slow, slow pace. He probably wants to be more forward and he won like that, the way that he did. I can't argue with any of that, but I will say my bigger concern with Epicenter is this. I've talked about it. He has seemingly plateaued. He is still extremely fast. He is versatile. He can be forward. He can rally from off of it. I will say it's a little concerning that the horse that once had some fair early foot, his last four races, I guess the Louisiana Derby, I don't want to hold that against him. Let's say his last three. 
against the best company that he's faced. He has not been particularly alert out of the gate or sharp, and he's had to rally from off of it. Now, maybe he's going to break right on top. Go on with it. If he does, that's probably one of his best chances of winning. Do you think a 102 buyer wins the race on Saturday? Because if it's as simple as that, he is strictly the horse to beat. And you can even say, regardless of if you think a 102 is what it'll take, he is strictly the horse to beat based on his resume. Eight out of nine in the exacta, five wins. He's still searching for his grade one. Maybe Saturday will be the day. The mile and a quarter, I don't have a problem with him. But you can see that I had highlighted here those two runs earlier this year at the fairgrounds, his first two route races. Effectively, it paired up buyer tops, 87 and 88 were splitting hairs. Moves forward to a 98 on an easy lead in the Risen Star. Comes back and I think ran as well, if not better, in the Louisiana Derby. Moved the fig up to a 102. The Kentucky Derby is still, in my opinion, the best race he's ever run. He ran the best race. He did not win. And that's not taking anything away from Rich Strike, who we'll get to in a bit. But he ran the best race in Louisville the first Saturday in May. And unfortunately, he got run down by a horse that if they run the race 100 times, he probably is that 80 to 1 shot, 70 to 1. Happens less than once. Or excuse me, just slightly more than once. If you believe that a low 100 buyer wins the race on Saturday, then have at it. Take him at 7 to 5 or 8 to 5, whatever he's going to be. I'm not saying leave him off your tickets. That That's entirely your prerogative. But there is a part of me that just looks at it and says, where's the improvement coming from? We've now had five straight races that the buyers have been 98, 102, 100, 102, 102. The time form U.S. figs not factoring in the pace. 113, 119, 118, 124, 124. Now, from the time form standpoint, you could make the case that he's paired up 124s, and maybe you're going to move up into a high 120, maybe even a 130 range. Gets him up into that high one, 100, call it a 110 buyer area. If he does that, not only is he going to win the race, but he's a major player in the Breeders' Cup. But call me an idiot for not wanting to find out at 7-5 to five or 8-5 to five that a 100 or a 102 is not going to be fast enough to win. I think there are other horses in the race that are almost as fast, if not as fast, and are going to be better prices. Purely from a gambling standpoint, I don't need to find out. I like the horse. I've li- I've loved him from the beginning. If you go back to the early shows earlier this year, I said it after the Gunrunner. said it after the Lecompte. After the Gunrunner, I said, this, this horse is proper. He's a derby type. After the Lecompte, I said, I want all of the epicenter stock because he did all the dirty work and he just got run down, beat by a dirty nose by Call Me Midnight rallied from I think second last I've loved this horse I still do but I can also separate being a fan from being a gambler and look I'm not a professional gambler some of you out there want to get into positive EV this that and the other shut up I don't have time for that if you want to criticize people for the way they go about doing things that's your own prerogative if you're a professional you shouldn't give a rat's ass what other people do do your own thing Purely from a fan standpoint, I love this horse. But I'm telling you my opinion from a gambling standpoint, no, I won't be betting him to win. I can't imagine I would be. He's not going to be giving a, a fair enough price, I don't think anyway. I could be wildly wrong. 
Maybe somebody's going to take a, a you know a ridiculous amount of money and be overbet. But I don't think Epicenter will offer fair value on the win end in Saturday's race, just based on the figs. That's just my opinion. If you want to use them in picks, go right ahead. Do and, and I say, if you want, do whatever you want. It's your money. I would, depending on what the rest of the sequences look like, if it looks rather chalky, I'm probably pitching them entirely. If I think I can catch a couple of prices, yeah, I'll probably use him. But he won't be, as of right now anyway, he's not my top pick in the race. As far as the other runners coming out of this race are concerned, Zandon. I'd mentioned I thought we were going to get a forward move in that Jim Dandy. If you go back and listen to the show leading into the Jim Dandy, I said he paired up buyer tops of 98. I think he got beat by a better horse in the Derby, in Epicenter. I think you're going to move up into the low 100 range, maybe a 102, 103, 104. And maybe that sets him up well. We got a forward move, but it was not a a market improvement. You see, he paired up the 98s and moved up to a 100. The time form numbers kind of suggesting the same thing. I've, I've said time and time again, I don't really look at him as a mile and a quarter horse. Uh, but willing to admit that I could be wrong on that. I'm approaching him as if he's a mile and an eighth type. And really, when you get into that final furlong or furlong and a half going 10... I think the pedigree is going to come up and, and rear its head. I think he's supremely talented. Uh, I personally, and I, I said it, and we'll talk about it when I get the early voting, I would have split the two of them up, had one of these horses go, and, and look, they could still wheel back in the Pennsylvania Derby, but I would have had either Zandon or early voting go in here, and the other one go to the Pennsylvania Derby. Probably this one, although I, I believe I said early voting to the Pennsylvania Derby based on the, the poor performance, but at the same time, if you're Chad Brown, you want to win... The, the biggest race in, in your neck of the woods, you've got three-eighths of the field. And they're all proper chances. I get it. Take a shot. Um, Zandon will not be my top pick in here, simply because I just don't know that he wants to really go this far, or is at his best, I should say, at this sign this sign of... Uh, try that again. He's not at his best at this kind of distance. Early voting... There is a part of me that when I watch that back a few times, I go, maybe I'm being too harsh on him. Maybe he did need the race. I would assume they're just going to go with him. I know what he can do. I know that Preakness was on a, a track that was friendly for him. But, I mean, he he's shown that he can run a big, big race. So maybe I'm being a little bit harsh. It'll go back to the price. As it always does. If I had to guess, he's probably the he's probably the third or fourth choice. The tough thing is going to be, I mean, the wild card in the race is Rich Strike from a gambling standpoint. I'll talk about his merit in time. But how much money does the Derby winner take in an eight-horse field? Because you figure you've got these three horses, Epicenter, Zandon, Early Voting. You've got Cyberknife. You've got Artorias. Now, Artorias, I think, is going to be the one that, of the three Chads, will be the longest price. Epicenter is going to be the favorite. Cyberknife is going to take some money. I don't know how much. But then Rich Strike is the unknown. And I don't mean to you know throw shade at, at Gilded Age or the other horse whose name is slipping my mind, but we'll see it in a minute. If early voting somehow floats up into that five or six to one range, and he could potentially be loose on the lead... 
I don't know. Could I talk myself back into him? As of today, I would not be picking him. Because I think there is going to be a little bit more pace signed on than, than maybe it seems at face value. Ain't life grand as the other horse. I apologize for, for not remembering that offhand. Right now, he would not be my pick. But from a gambling standpoint, I can see a scenario in which he sort of slips through the cracks, goes off at a price that he shouldn't, goes off at a playable price, and perhaps upsets this thing. I was just very disappointed in that race that we just took a look at the tape. I, I thought, all things considered, he should have done much better than he did. Maybe he needed one. And now second off the bench, he'll be ready to pop. I will say, his career so far, off the bench, comes back, runs a much better race. Off the bench, comes back, runs a much better race. Off the bench in the Jim Dandy, maybe runs a much better race in the Travers. If he does, he's very dangerous. Those are the three coming out of the local prep, the Jim Dandy. As far as air quotes picks are concerned, right now, I'm not picking any of them. And I say right now, there's really not much in my mind that'll change between now and, and Saturday. We'll get to that in a bit. As of right now, I respect them all. I think they're all very, very talented. I'm not picking any of them. Prep for the Travers, the Jim Dandy, it is. But then they run this race as well the same week, a few days before or a day before. Uh, this is the Curlin. And this could also be a rather important race because the other Chad Brown is in here, and that's Artorius. Very, very lightly raced. Looks like he wants to run 15 miles, which I think is a good thing for a mile and a quarter race, and we can speed this up. We don't need to go through the full gate load and all that jazz. But point being, you've got two horses coming out of here, Artorius and Gilded Age. First things first, just like a big overriding thought. We can watch the tape for those of you that are watching. Artorius is in the Judmont Silks. Going to be coming from a few lengths off of it, carrying a bit of ground. The What is the point? Other than the owners want more places to run and get stakes victories. What is the point of running a race like this when you also have the Jim Dandy? If you pick one or the other, and you're obviously going to pick the Jim Dandy, do you know how much better that field would be? I know you've still got those big three names that we just talked about, but you would have at least half of this field. There, all of a sudden, you got a field of nine. If you got all of this field... Seven of them went, you've got a field of 11 for the local prep. I think part of the problem, big picture, and again, I apologize, I'm not really diving into this replay too, too much. You're going to see the real stuff start happening when we hit the top of the lane, when Artorias just kicks away. The, the bigger problem is, it's too watered down. What's the point? Why would you run in this in the Jim Dandy against those big three, if you've got a race like this for, you know, I know it's far, far less money, but I just, it blows my mind. Anyway, the curling. Artorius at this point has tipped out into the clear. He's three passes off the rail. He's going to change leads, and he kicks on like a good thing down the lane. Gilded Age, I don't want to hold anything against him. I think he puts in a very nice belated bid. The problem is, not only do you need to now make up a fair bit of ground on a horse that looks like he's the goods, but you've got to do that against him, and you've got to do it against the three we just talked about and the other horses that we have not touched on yet. Artorias didn't earn a massive fig for this race, but we'll start with Gilded Age. He's getting slightly better, but just slightly better. 
86 in his return from the Middle East, 88 in that start. If you want to say he's pairing him up, fine. What does he move up to? A mid to high 90 at best? can't imagine he gets into the low 100s off that. I just don't think he's good enough right now. And he's not even one that I can make a creative case for. Um, if he wins, I will say, Bill Mott, you've done it again. Brilliant job. But on paper, I just, there's so few things that I look at and think are particularly positive with him against a, a group of this caliber. Nice horse, but a notch a notch below in my opinion. Now, Artorius is genuinely kind of the the unknown in the race. I have a pretty good idea what the three from the Jim Dandy are. You've got a pretty decent idea what or it's like Cyberknife is. You get a decent idea, I think anyway, of what Rich Strike is. Who knows about the horse coming from Iowa? This horse, though, has always looked like a good thing. His dad strutted his stuff over the track. He runs as though he wants to go a mile and a quarter. The fact that that was his first time going around two turns, and I think he was only getting stronger as the race went longer, bodes well for the mile and a quarter. And no, he's not as fast as those horses that we just talked about from the Jim Dandy. But he has that nice progression. 83 to 91 to 95. I'm going to expect we get close to 100 on Saturday. Uh, time form US, he goes 105 to 111 to 115. I think he get close to a 120. Those numbers jive. I'm expecting him to get close to 100. Maybe even exceeding it. The dangerous part with Artorius is he is lightly raced. He's yet to face, I would say, superstar company. What happens when the water gets deeper and you take on classier animals? Are you able to just keep going like this? But keep in mind, and, I, you know, I just mentioned it because he's his dad, but Arrowgate had a similar kind of profile. He had yet to run overly fast. He was fast. He was visually impressive, uh, except for the run at Del Mar. He just didn't really appreciate it for whatever reason. But he had done things that made you think, all right, he might be all right. And then he went and exploded in the Travers. And that was the beginning of a four-race stretch that I still think is the best I've ever seen. This horse, though, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to run a 120. But it would not stun me if all of a sudden he jumped up into a high 100. He gives off that kind of impression. I think Artorius in a weird way, of the three Chads, could be the most likely winner. Which, he has a Bluegrass winner, he's got a Preakness winner, and I think this one, who has run three times, may actually be the most likely winner of them all. He could also be the worst of them all. You know, remains to be seen. Those other two have been tested against good company anyway. Artorius is going to be the first time. But I think his upside, his potential, is immense. And if there is a, I don't know if you can even call it a shocker on Saturday, but if there is a a, a surprise win Saturday, I think it might be Artorias. I think it might be Artorias. I mentioned potential shockers in Artorias. Uh, I, Ain't Life Grand would be a shocker. I just don't know if I see it. Uh, you know, the Iowa Derby came back a fast race. There's no replay because I couldn't find it 
from the racetrack on YouTube. I, I saw some other people had posted it, and I don't really want to do that. Um, I, you know, most recently, I get it why they wanted, you know, easy money, basically a workout, go and get paid. But that Iowa Derby, it came back fast. He had a good setup, ran well that day. Conniger, the runner-up, came back and won next out, but he went back to sprinting, which I think is really what his game is. Um, I, you know, maybe if you're trying to get creative, you use him underneath. I don't. I mean, if you strip the Iowa Derby from his PPs, he's just not nearly fast enough. And I, I don't want to throw shade at folks. Um, look, you've got a horse that has a number that's at least in the ballpark of the big horses. It's only an eight-horse field. If you think the distance is going to be to his advantage, you know, who knows? Crazier things have happened. Um, I just, I have a hard time seeing Ain't Life Grand getting the job done in the Midsummer Derby at Saratoga. We have to talk about the Derby winner. Rich Strike. Now, this replay from Naira's YouTube channel, this is Mo Donegal winning the Belmont. Um, you're not going to see really anything remarkable from Rich Strike. Uh, I have seen so many people, and it, it just it makes me want to bash my head against the wall, say, oh, you know, he's training well, but he was training real well leading into the Belmont, and he didn't pick his feet up. If you listen to anything I talked about, or many people that know what's going on, he never was going to run well in the Belmont. It's just not a running style that works for this race. Those four horses that are in the front, they're going to be one, two, three, four. Yeah, the order changes slightly, but you can't make up that kind of ground going a mile and a half. It doesn't work like that. So I don't care that he was working great and he didn't run well here. He was probably never going to run well here. He needed to be more forward. So draw a line through this race. But I'm showing you this race for a reason. And it goes back to Nest, who I mentioned at the top. You see her. She's rallying right now. She's going to finish second behind Mo Donegal. If you go back to my show the couple days following this race, which I believe would have been, what, the 13th of June? There's Rich Strike right there. The reason this race is important is because I had mentioned that I had spoken to someone in the know in terms of buyers. And there was a suggestion that the number could be faster. But how likely was it that these three-year-olds ran so much faster than older horses who are very, very consistent on that day at a mile and a half? And then you saw the time form US rating, which Mo Donegal earned a 127, which would have been roughly a 107 buyer speed figure. Now, he had paired up buyer tops leading into the Belmont. So, again, seems... It's a combination of it seems unlikely, but also not totally out of the realm of possibility. Well, when you really start looking at it... Now I'm going to have to do one of these again because it's blocking my... You know what I'll do? On the fly, I'll just pull up, pull up the old iPad. When you start to look and see the results coming out of the race you can begin to draw the conclusion that, guess what? That 107 buyer that seemed too high was probably right. And the 127 time form US rating was probably legitimate. Mo Donegal, unfortunately, is sidelined. We're not going to see him again this year. Hopefully next year. Nest. She wins her next race in the Coaching Club American Oaks. Earns a 104 buyer. 
In the Belmont, she had earned a 95. If, though, you give her... I'm using 10 points as the number. Because if you go back to the time form rating for Mo Donegal at 127, and the buyer, if you take 20 off, there's 107. If you take 10, or if you give her 10 from that 95 buyer, she's at a 105 in the Belmont. Which makes that 104 in the coaching club look very reasonable. And I know she earned a 99 in Saturday's Alabama, and she earned a 121 time form U.S. rating. But frankly, I don't really care about that number because she won by the length of the stretch. She was geared down for the final eighth of a mile. What difference does it make? I know she can run fast. She's run a couple of 104, 105 kind of numbers, even though her past performances will say she's done it once. And no other three-year-old can say they've done that. Epicenter continues to run 100 to 102. In my eyes, Nest has run two races, both of them at, they're not wildly different, but they're different enough. Mile and an eighth and a mile and a half. And the way she finished just now at a mile and a quarter. She's run at least two races in the 104-105 range in my eyes, despite what the numbers on the past performances will say. You can continue on, though, to, to sort of solidify the fact that the buyer for the Belmont is too low. I, I am firmly in that camp. Do with it what you will. I, I don't know that they would go back and, and change it right now. Skippy Longstocking. He wins his next race. So keep in mind, the Belmont, which it seemed unlikely that you were getting all of these like off-the-charts kind of performances. The winner, unfortunately, sidelined. The runner-up came back and won next out. And then the third-place finisher, Skippy Longstocking, he comes and wins next out with a 102 buyer. In the Belmont, he earned a 91. But going back to the idea of if you give him 10 to get sort of things back in line, he actually earned a 101 in my eyes. Which, again, it's all lining up quite nicely. And it continues on. In fourth, you had We the People. We the People comes back. He, he finished second to Skippy Longstocking in his next start. He earned a 100 buyer. The Belmont, his official number is a 90. But if you give him 10, he's at a 100. And also, his run prior in the local prep, Peter Pan, he earned a 103. So I am convinced that the Belmont fig should have actually been what the number looked like it was. Mo Donegal, that 107, I think is legit. Uh, offhand, I don't know what Nests was. Oh, sorry, I do. It was, a one, it was a 95. I think it should have been a 105. She came back, earned that 104 in the coaching club. The 99 in the Alabama, don't care about. I know she's fast. She could have run faster, I believe. Skippy Longstocking, he earned a 91 in the Belmont. He came back and won next out with a 102. If you give him 10 for the Belmont, he's gone 101 to 102. And the fourth place finisher, We the People, in the Belmont, he earned a 90. His next start, he earned a 100. If you give him 10 for the Belmont, that gets him to a 100. And by the way, the run prior here into 103. Which brings us back to Rich Strike. If you give him 10, that puts him to a 93. And I know that doesn't sound sexy. But also factor in that he was never going to win that race with that running style. He was not. And all of a sudden, I'm not sitting here saying I'm picking him. He's going to need pace help. He is still pace dependent. But it sounds like he's training well. I made the case before the Belmont, and I still 
until proven otherwise, then you may just love Churchill Downs. But if that Belmont's not nearly as bad as that number suggests, and he can get back to the Kentucky Derby, he's not impossible. He's not. And I know I've, I have friends that have said, you can't possibly, you know, I'm uh, just sour on him. You know, he one-off, one-off, one-off. That Belmont's not as bad as it looks. That Derby, he ran. He went and won that race. Yes, he had an ideal setup, but he ran. And he beat good horses. Don't just assume that Rich Strike can't run. Again, I'm not betting him. I'm not picking him. But I think it would be very rash to just sit there and say, He's a complete and utter bum. That's foolish. He ran in the Kentucky Derby. The Belmont, I think the number is 10 points too low. And again, he was never going to win trying to rally from off the pace. Going a mile and a half at Belmont Park does not work. Especially when the pace ended up being... And I know that the numbers were actually pretty respectable from a pace standpoint. But they weren't going guns blazing. I don't, I'm not going to pick him. But I would not be stunned at all if Rich Strike acquitted himself well on Saturday. I wouldn't. I would not. That leaves us with one more horse. The only horse that I'm really truly interested in on Saturday is Cyberknife. We're going to take a look at the Haskell. This is from the Breeders' Cups channel, which is pulled from NBC. His run down at the Jersey Shore it worked well for me this day. I don't know if it'll work as well on Saturday, but... I think for all the other concerns or questions that I have about the rest of the field, this is one horse that I think is improving. And I don't know that I can say that with certainty about others in this field. He's down on the inside right now. He's about four or five lengths off of it. He's going to just settle back. And you're going to see that move that he makes down the backside. I did a little video. I tweeted it. It's out there somewhere comparing the move that he made in the Arkansas Derby to this move here. And this is a horse that I think they are figuring out. He needs to have a target. Mentally, maybe he's not all there yet. And I saw some some people gave me some shit about comparing him to Authentic. I'm going to say it again. And if you don't agree, kick rocks. Get out of here. I don't care. This is a horse that mentally, is he as, does he have the same running style as Authentic? No. But there are some traits that are similar. Athletic wise i think he's got the athleticism to be able to make moves like this and somebody said oh it's the rider that calls on him no shit it's the rider that calls on him but the horse needs to be able to respond you need to have a horse that when you want to go find a hole or go through a hole can do it he's making a big move right now the camera angle didn't really do justice he's going to start now to get up and behind horses into the pocket but you need to have the horse that can jump into those spots we see it with turf races all the time there's a hole there but the horse doesn't get through it well, it's because they don't have the turn of foot necessary. On dirt, can you get into a seam? Can you find, get your way out of a bit of a vice? Not all horses can. Right now, Giroud needs to be able to get down to the inside. Not all horses are going to be able to do that. This horse can. He gets him down there and he kicks on. This horse continues to improve. Zandon, I think maybe he is improving. Epicenter, based on his last five races, I don't think he is improving, but I don't know for sure. Artorius is improving, absolutely. But you look at the majority of this field, it feels a lot like what I know. Oh, hello, that is Gilded Age. That is not my guy. Where are we? There he is, Cyberknife. <laughs> Gilded Age just wanted to get more love. He wanted to get more more run. 
this horse is improving. And that's what I want in a race like this. His 102 buyer is the co-highest last out in the field. He's got a 102. Epicenter has a 102. He has run consecutive uplines. I'm stealing that phrase. Where his figs from a pace standpoint have gotten faster as the race has gone on. He's actually run it like a turf race. The difference is he's going quite fast early on. I don't think he's going to be completely outrun. I don't think he's going to be six, seven lengths off of it. I think he's probably going to be within three to four lengths down the backside. And if that agility, that versatility to allow his rider, to allow Giroux to give him cues. If you want to make a move at the half mile to try to get involved or get close enough to it, he's shown that he can do that. The biggest concern is do you move too early and he starts getting goofy out there, looking around, drifting in and out. And maybe that is slowly starting to go away. And that brings me back to Authentic. Authentic was a horse that if you ran the Kentucky Derby in May that year, he's not winning it because he was not a completed project mentally. The talent was always there, but he didn't have his mind there. In September, he did. And guess what? He did again in November at Keeneland when he won the Breeders' Cup Classic. I don't know that Cyberknife is as talented as Authentic. But he is on a very similar trajectory, in my opinion. That Matt win, we talked about it, or I talked about it before the Haskell. When I went over this race, the win's number, I think, was too low. Probably closer to a 100. Comes back, earns a 102 in the Haskell. I like that he's willing to go into positions where others aren't. It's my knock against Taba, and I don't know where he'll show up again. But until he proves that he can be behind horses and take kickback, or get into really tight spots and go on with it, He's definitely got a flaw. This horse, his flaw right now is his mind, but it seems like he's getting better. But one of his best traits and one of his best assets is his willingness to go into tight spots and keep going. Not all horses can do that or are willing to do that. He's done it on multiple occasions. I think Cyberknife's not, and I read an article in Daily Racing Form. Brad Cox is quoted, and I, I agree. I don't think he's getting the, the credit he deserves. And by the way, if he wins Saturday, he is the leader in the clubhouse for the three-year-old champion. Without question, he will have three grade ones. He will have beaten basically everybody there is to beat. He didn't run well in the derby, but he's probably too close to the pace. He will have three grade one wins to everyone else's one or two. Most of them won. I don't know if there is another one with two, is there? Off the top of my head? Epicenter has zero. Zandon has one. Is the Bluegrass even a grade one? I don't even know anymore. Um, Modonigal has one. Rich Strike has one. Taba has one. He's the only one right now with two grade ones? So, okay, he didn't win one of the Triple Crown races, but if he wins the Travers and he won the Haskell and he won the Arkansas Derby, I don't know. Seems like a pretty good resume to me. I like this horse. I think I'm going to get a price good enough to bet him as well, which is the the thing that I'm most intrigued by. I don't think the mile and a quarter is a problem. I think he's gotten stronger as the races have gotten longer. If he just behaves himself and keeps his head screwed on right, and I have to assume he's continuing to mature. If he does all that, I think he has a massive chance in Saturday's race. I'm going to pick him, and I'm going to bet him. 
assuming the number's right, which I think it's going to be. I can't imagine him being shorter than... I'm just... I haven't gone through and priced it out because we don't have a, an official field yet. I don't know. He can't be shorter than four. He can't be. If Epicenter's eight to five, Zandon's probably five to two. With the rich strike money in there, seven to two. He won't be lower than that. He won't be lower than seven to two. He can't be. I'm saying Epicenter at eight to five. Maybe he goes shorter than that. Epicenter at eight to five. Zandon at five, five to two. Cyberknife maybe four to one. Early voting five to one. Rich Strike six, and everybody else is. Although then you got Artorias. So I, again, I, you'd have to sit there and go through and actually do the math. But I think I'm going to get a playable price on this horse, who I think is going the right direction for connections who know how to win there, and I don't think the distance is a problem. I'm going to pick Cyberknife, and hopefully I'm going to bet him in Saturday's Travers. So there you have it, an early look at the probables for Saturday's Travers. Charge it is out. I like Cyberknife. I'm going to pick him. Be curious to see what the official field looks like, what the pace scenario does look like. It, you know, at face value, early voting is going to have to go. You would think Epicenter can be closer. Um, beyond that, it gets a little bit murky. But I just like the, the path that Cyberknife is on. And I think he's also, on top of that, going to potentially be a playable price. So that's where I'm going to go in this year's Travers. Let me know who you like and why beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. It's always a fun race, and it's a vitally important race this year. I know we've still got the Pennsylvania Derby ahead of us, but these three-year-old boys, it, it's it, not, not, not to be rude, it's put up or shut up time. I, I've been I've been touting you for, for many, many months now. Someone needs to jump up into that mid to high 100 range. It's time. This this is when it's supposed to start happening. And if none of them do, I'll be very disappointed. I want I want a winning buyer to be 107 to 108. If that happens, they're you're you're sitting you're sitting good. Sitting good. If it doesn't, if a, if a 100 or a 102 wins it, just going to start looking at it. You know, all right. We're running out of time here, fellas. We got to we got to pick it up. Put up or shut up time. I like Cyberknife. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching if you're over on YouTube. But many ways to find the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. And over on YouTube, search for Matt Burner, your show. This episode, along with the 127, are over there. Uh, as always, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down. Bell icon lit up over on YouTube. I'll be back on Thursday for Horse Players Happy Hour. Myself, PTF, we may have a guest in here as well. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking all things Saratoga on Saturday. You know, many, many grade ones highlighted by the Travers. We'll find out. Maybe one of the boys will really stamp themselves as the horse to beat, not just for the three-year-old division, but make themselves known as a, a legitimate player for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 128 of the pod. Thank you again for listening. We always appreciate the support, uh, not just in the money media, but especially me, myself. Uh, always, always thankful for all of you that listen and watch week in and week out. Until next week, we'll come back and dissect what happened to the Travers. What do you mean going forward? Best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.